Welcome to Ballsy, the podcast where I interview successful artists and creators on how they got the balls to sell their art and turn their practice into a profitable business. As a former entrepreneur turned artist, I realized that being an artist is basically like running a small startup. And you, the artist, are the CEO. I talk to artists about their businesses, talk real numbers, growth hacks, tools and tricks, and how they were ballsy enough to make that their career. Hello and welcome. Today, we are very fortunate to have an artist who I've been following for a while who goes by the name of Coquette. Is it, am I pronouncing that correctly? Whose real name is Shira Barzali? Barzali? Barzali. Okay, good. I know, I'm making it hard all over the place. I'm making it difficult. Anyways, Shira Barzilai Coquetit. That's the... That's okay, how you with your it. accent, it sounds substantially better. Sure. Yeah, exactly. Welcome, America. So for my brief research, it's developed from the French coquette, stylish girl. And so if you would give the, the audience just a little description of your art, and then we'll do a little background and then talk about your biz. Coquetit actually means flirty in French. Okay. Flirty girl, flirtatious kind of personality. And my art focuses on female all the time. It's like a constant subject of mine. It's like a research of the female silhouette, form, spirit. And so I mainly, I dabble in many techniques, but I mainly draw using digital techniques and create very minimalistic lines very intuitively. Very in a very free flowy, intuitive kind of drawing process, and often over images like existing images. And by doing so, I change the narrative of the original image. So it's I'm either like unfolding what was what is there, or just revealing the revealing what is beyond the image, or just completely changing the story. Are creating something new. Yeah. So that's, that's basically the gist of, of the artistry that, that it's called the world is my canvas. So it's basically just the assumption that art is all about freedom. And in my artistry, the world is a place of infinite possibilities and anything can be a canvas. It's just a question of how you unlock your imagination to discover. Yeah, I find your work is super interesting in the fact that it overlays on so much stuff. I didn't realize most of it was digital, but I love that you, your work takes ownership of a lot of these images and, and transforms them into very stylistic work. Also, I like that you've translated your work into fashion and a bunch of other narratives as well, but we'll get into that in a little bit. Just for a little background, like how long have you been an artist and when did and what did you do before you were an artist? My background is in fashion. I studied fashion design and got my bachelor's degree in fashion design. And the for the years that followed, I became a fashion illustrator um, okay. while, while also taking a full-time job as a graphic editor for a fashion magazine. So this was a time where I was, I was an editor for a magazine, so I would meet people from the industry and make contacts in the business and get my work out there. And then I was also freelancing a lot moving from client to client and providing my illustrative services and perspective. I think at some point I started to explore outside of the fashion context and started to dabble in different mediums as well. I had my Instagram started to really take off and gain a good following, which is something I paid a lot of attention to. Um, I started at some point, I had my own temporary tattoo line business, which was like my first step into being a business owner. Okay. Can I stop you for a sec? So you started, so you were just basically doing these sketches and yeah. just kind of drawing on other pictures and posting them on Instagram. Not before. When I was a fashion illustrator, I was just like a, I was like a freelance artist okay. doing, I was working with Roberta Cavalli. I did some work for different like brands doing illustrations. So I also had... And so you, when did your style start and how did you relate that to the world at hand? Like, when did you know it was a thing? So at some point while I was quite successful, I must say as an illustrator, and though I was, I was gaining success, I was very unhappy as okay. an artist. I felt like I was very, un, 
not fulfilling my potential. I felt like I was scraping my surface and underneath there was so much more to explore. And I felt very fake and phony. Like I was really trying to impress and I wasn't really reaching the truth. So I, I went on a quest, as you can say, and I started looking for what was really my voice. And I think at some point I just realized that I'm a doodler, like that I, that when I'm on the phone or if I'm listening to music or watching a movie, my, it, my hand is always reaching for a pencil or a pen and I'm always doodling very subconsciously. So I started to explore that and out of that exploration started the manifestation of my artistry and my voice and how everything came to be. And then the images started to, and I started to incorporate the images, but everything came together once I said, I'm stopping, I'm going to stop this whole illustration, trying to please others. And I'm going to try and find the truth from within myself. Now, so did you, so you felt this journey that you were going on. And so did you stop working in the fashion world right there and say, I'm doing this 100% or was there some sort of, did you have some sort of financial wins or did you sell something? What was the, the flip point where you said, I'm going to do this full time? So everything in my life was one thing that led to another. Nothing was abrupt except for COVID, which came later. I was, I had my full-time job in the magazine which was my constant kind of like backbone. And I knew that whatever I can do, I can always fall back on this job of mine that I was doing very easily by this point and wasn't very time consuming. My business, the blog that I was doing, all of those like the, the business of the temporary tattoos, everything kind of was built over, over the time that I was also working as a full-time job. So I was never... Yeah, so there wasn't really a point where I was like, okay, I'm going to stop doing this and I'm going to start doing that. It, everything flew in with each other until COVID. And then when COVID happened, everything stopped. I stopped working in the magazine. I All of the jobs that I did for money, I was doing portraits at events, all of the hustle, all of the hustle, all of the things that artists would relate to this very well. We do a lot of like shit on the side. Sorry, I don't know if you can say that, but we do yeah, a lot of- we curse freely here. So we do, as an artist, sometimes you take on like gigs because they pay the rent. It's, yeah, it's not, it has no artistic value. No, nothing that'll help you progress as an artist. You just do it because it's paying. And you can really get sucked in easily to this kind of, to this mindset. And I was really in that. And then COVID came and threw everything out the window and I had nothing left but my art. So I was forced upon the world to just start selling my own shit. And then just, that's how everything grew. Okay, this is super interesting. So basically COVID forced your hand. So you would have yeah. probably still dilly-dallied around and like half-assed it, but like the fact that the whole world shut down and basically gave you one choice, but to make art that forced your hand. I recognize opportunity. I have, a, I have a very strong belief that there are opportunities everywhere and you just have to look for them. Yeah. and see them sometimes they're staring at you smack in the face and you just like when you have a mentality of I, I feel when you feel sorry for yourself the biggest opportunity will stare you in the face and you won't see it so when COVID happened I was like nope I'm not gonna give in to this feeling sorry for ourselves kind of mentality I'm gonna pick up and I'm gonna seize the opportunity and I realized that people were sitting at home staring at their walls you know they couldn't go anywhere their walls were empty. Whoa, okay, let's let's make our space nice. Let's buy some art. And by this point, I had already a huge following on Instagram. So I just decided to invest in a in an online print store and just start selling my prints internationally, online. Okay, that's a perfect segue. So first I always like I go through people's art practice like a PL. So I start with revenue, like where are you making your money? We go to revenue, we do sales, then we do costs. So we go through everything. So yeah. You start, did you actually start with tattoos or did you actually sell prints or anything before that? What was like your, what was your first sale? Coquetti.com was a tattoo shop. Oh, that's Temporary awesome. Tattoos. It was like stickers that you put on yeah. your skin and, it's, and then this comes out. And it was an instant success because it was a new product that hasn't arrived to Israel. I'm from Israel. It didn't arrive here yet. I recognized something very interesting that was happening at the time and it blew up overnight. 
I was, everybody was writing about it. All the celebrities, local celebrities would knock on my door to come and get tattoos. It was like insane. And what kind, uh, and if you don't mind me asking, what kind of like what kind of numbers were like what they sell for, and like how many of these things were you were flying off? Very, the I have. A, I, I think that I just like very had a very. I don't know how, but I just things were very clear to me how it needs to be commercialized. So I would sell like I would sell two pieces of tattoos for like twenty five bucks, okay. uh, and then ship it like worldwide. And they were like premium designs. They were premium. It was a premium product. It wasn't like the two dollars the ones that you sell on CVS. It was like, a, it was really nicely branded. It was like, I designed all of the, all of the, obviously all of the designs. Now, uh, was there a third party manufacturing these for you? I found a, I found a factory in China that manufactured all oh, of great. my, you know, all of my tattoos. They would ship it here and yeah, everything was just, I never studied it. I just like completely went intuitive and did what the next thing that made sense. Okay. So you're now doing tattoos. You're generating some nice little income. At what point did you start selling prints? and paperworks and what was the next iteration of the sales process? So the tattoo business was going very well, although I started to get a lot of competition. Of People saw that this product is amazing, easy, really easy to manufacture, very cheap, very cheap. And you have a high, how do you say this? Margin. Margin, yeah, like incredible margin. Um, yeah, like maybe well, for a penny, sell it for 25 bucks. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So it's a profitable business. People recognize this. I started gaining a lot of competition because I wasn't like, I wasn't like a proper business that had a team of 10 people. It was me working from my home or from my office and at work. I started to get really, they started to outdo me and I had to make a choice. I, if I'm going to fight and get in the game and start doing retail. Or if I'm going to say, okay, this was fun. Let's move on to the next thing. And this was purely a soulful decision because I realized that I'm not the type of person who would, I wouldn't, it wouldn't satisfy me to be in this business. I need to be making art. Like I, I segued away too much from my calling. Okay. So I said, thank you very much, everybody. This was awesome. And then, and then I just took the website and I just completely shifted it. Like for one week, I sat and just re took down all of the products and and posted the products in the form of art prints and the reason i did that is again i recognized as i did in the beginning with the tattoos i recognized a demand for the prints okay due to the ever-growing instagram account that i was cultivating i would notice that when i would post a picture or post something on the feed everybody would ask me where can i buy this where can i buy this where can so I was like, okay, well, if everybody's asking, I'm going to give it to them. So it's just like a matter of just like moving from one product to the other. And that's how the print stop started. We're, I'm going to get to social when we get down to the, to the marketing section. Now, in terms of price points and what you sell, do you sell like originals and then prints of those originals? Do you sell work that's just print only? And like, how do you usually break those out in terms of, are those for different segments and different audiences, like prime collectors for big bucks and then like lower entry for prints for the general public like how do you think about it and how do you price accordingly because i didn't i'm not a conventional artist painter that grew from galleries and come and it didn't come from this world i knew nothing about selling originals the initial idea and because i'm very commercial minded and it came from fashion and i had the temporary tattoos it just made sense for me to start selling prints for the masses. And I, of course, I researched and came to the conclusion that I don't even want to do limited editions. I'm just going to sell posters. Okay. So the idea was to cater to the demographic of the people that were already following me. I said, if I have all this following, these are everyday people. I'm just going to give them affordable art posters that you can buy from 50 to $150, depending on four different sizes. That's how it started. Then at some point I started to get it. I started to feel that there was a demand for originals. So I started posting originals and I started, and I, I gave them price point between 150 to $350 to $350. And then all of them sold out. So I'm like, okay. So I started posting, <laughs> so I started posting more artworks and they sold out. So I'm like, maybe I should post, maybe I should give a higher price point. So everything, as I said before, like one thing that led to the other, I believe that art should be democratic. I believe that 
everybody should be able to afford a piece of art in their home, whether it be a poster or whether it be an original. I believe that someone can buy $50 worth of art and $15,000 worth or $50,000 worth of art. They should all be able to find something. That Did you print your, your, did you make the posters yourself at like your local print shop or did you use like a website service to help fabricate those? So when I was looking for ways to manifest the product, I came across and I would often get a lot of offers from websites, just post your, just, just upload your files. We'll do everything for you. Life's going to be great for you. We'll take care of the rest. Oh, and by the way, your profit will be 7%. It's only a little bit of money we take, right? By the way, yeah, just take a little thing, 7%. And I sent, I I took a couple of websites saying, what's the word? Like, how is that going to harm me? But then I realized that it's bullshit. I don't need those platforms. I have more following than than most of these platforms on Instagram. And I can easily produce for very cheap or for a very good price and create a good margin if I do it alone. And I'm very much a girl about comfort. I work from home. I don't like to schlep around too much. I need things to be easy because I'm like a very hardworking, lazy person is how I describe myself. <laughs> I found an incredible printers right down the street, if you can believe it. In Tel Aviv, very near, but it's the, the fact that my printers are right like 200 meters from my house is completely insane. So they print everything and they package it. And yeah, so I found like I, I created a system that is very easily produced and shipped and yeah. And if you don't mind me asking, what kind of, what website service do you like, do you use a special website service or do you just like pre-grow, pre-program all the choices of like sizes and things like that? I use, my website is on Wix. Again, I'm very much a girl that likes to have to do things on her own. So I built the website by myself and I, all the products are there and I do everything alone. You know something? I was always thought Wix was like the cheap shitty version. And I was always like a Squarespace person or Shopify. And I had done a bunch. And just recently for my new website, I started using Wix. It is by far the best of all of the things I've ever used. So yeah. I'm a there, by the way. What? Is it really? They're an Israeli oh. company. Yeah. Well, I'm super bullish Wix. Like their back end, like I got rid of like twenty other programs I was using because it does everything from inventory to cash flow management to sales. Like I love it. Uh, and so of your things, going back to sales, what are the best sellers what, and percentage wise? Is it like 80% prints, 20% originals? What's the breakout of your sales? I don't know if I know how to say it like in percentages, but the majority of the products that are sold are prints. Okay. But it's crazy because then all of a sudden you can make one sale in an original. Yeah. And the price is so much. I just sold a piece. I just sold. There's one product on my website right now, an original piece that costs $12,000 and it's sold. You can sell a bunch of small prints and then all of a sudden someone comes and buys the piece. Actually, you didn't buy it off the website. It's a couple that came from Canada and they did a studio visit and then they bought the piece from here. Okay, so I'm gonna, we're going to digress a whole bunch of stuff. This is actually perfect. So we're now going to slightly diverge into sales, right? So we had, I have an idea where it's coming from. So first off, congratulations that your primary artwork is now getting up into to, to five figures land. That's not an easy feat to accomplish. So Because you. your original started at 350 and all of a sudden now we're 12 grand. That, that feels good. Yeah, but we also sold for higher than that. I dabbled in, I started work, I started creating cheese this year. Yeah, of course. We're going to get there. We had a piece. We is me and a company that I teamed up with on this specific project to make this NFT project come into fruition. So we did a, we did a, we sold a piece on a, in a public auction here in Israel, an NFT for $14,000, which was a record price for an Israeli NFT in Israel in an auction house. So that was awesome. Yeah. Do you want to give the, what was the name of the company that you work with? Is it like a, is it like a backend thing or a front end thing? Yeah, Picturey. They are a Web three based service company that provides services for yeah. Web three for for all of that kind of T stuff, technical. But also for this project, they're doing all of the marketing. They're doing all of the things. Like we're actually partners in that Very specific cool. project, which was an interesting experience for me. During the fact that the market kept changing and then it crashed and everything moved, it was a real learning experience. And sometimes. 
you have to understand that when you're, or to, I'm saying this to the listeners, you have to understand that when you're a full-time artist, you can't expect to make the same earnings each month, be the same. Some months, like the summer months are usually slower. And then some month, and then like other months will be insanely high. So you just have to not, not stress out about it. And then when I was working on the NFT project, I took a lot of my time to learn and to study and to create. And, and uh, those months ended up being a little bit less for me earning wise, but at the end of the day, when you balance it out with, with other projects or other months, it's fine. So you just have to have a cool mindset and be like, everything balances out. But yeah, yeah, no sales. And I have to say another thing about sales is that you, only you can determine the worth of your art. So people say. So important. They said, I got interviewed for this financial magazine here in Israel. And the biggest quote they quoted, the quote of the, of the cover quote, or how do you say it? The headline. The title, the headline was me saying, I should be, my art should be sold in a lot of money. Why shouldn't it? And of course that sounded very condescending and they try to make it sound a little bit like trashy or not trashy, but very tabloidy or interesting. Yeah, but because it's not me, it's not my personality to be like, yes, I should be sold with a lot of money. But, oh. uh, but at the end of the day, yeah, it's true. An artist and every artist needs to determine what they're worth is. It shouldn't be out of context and very delusional, but it also, it should be also based on how you believe you are worth. There's other parts that come with it, right? You make your market. You've built obviously a huge following on Instagram. We're going to get to that in a sec. And so all these things add, obviously, to what you can charge and price. You sell, where do most of your sales come from? It's mostly direct. Do you even work with galleries? Do you use third-party sites? Like, how? what does that break, or is it all social? What does that breakdown look like for you? I don't work with galleries at all. Okay. I just recently started little teensy-weensy, teensy-weensy dribbles of conversations with galleries to see how I can get incorporated in that world. I do have some pieces in a gallery in Canada. I think maybe that's it. Okay. It's really not my, it's not my forte. It's not my world yet. Most of my sales come from the, and the website and also people that come over to the studio, buyers who want to come and see art and they ended up buying, they see the pieces here and then they come and when they come to the studio, they want to meet me as the artist. I have to be presentable, tell my story, establish a relationship. It's very important when you're selling, when you're selling art to, to, to buyers to understand that you're not just selling your work, you're selling you a little bit as well. It's like part of the experience. Narrative. Yeah, of course. I don't know. Was I answering your question? I feel like I just digressed completely. You, you were you, indirectly, but you did. So it sounds like you own your business, right? A lot of artists, like I speak to artists who are only gallery represented and they don't do, they don't own any of their sales, right? You own your customer. And so I'm always curious of how artists do that. I assume, or, and how much of it comes from social channels? Like your Instagram is huge. Do you, and do you use other? 100% comes from social channels for me. 100% comes from social channels. Okay. 100%. My, everything that I've done over the last years has been due to Instagram. Everything. I can, everything. The agency, the collaborations, the sales, the website, the, the fact that I get to sit here all day and work and paint in my studio is all due to Instagram. I would okay. never be where I am today if it wasn't for Instagram. Okay. I love, I see. I love 100%. Do you use anything else? Do you use TikTok? Do you use any of those social channels or it's just Instagram? Focus 1000%. I, I tried, I tried TikTok, but it's not hitting it for me yet. It's just a completely different world. Instagram is. How did you build your Instagram? Cause you have like, you have up to, I think you're past a half a million followers now. Or you not yet, but it's all right, you're close. It's an interesting story. I had about 10 K I would, I was using Instagram as a portfolio page. I would finish a project, post it to, to draw something, post it. It was just like a, just a platform where I posted my work, my shit. And then, and I was also posting in Hebrew. The captions were in Hebrew. Okay. And then I connected with a, uh, with somebody was, who was an Instagram sensation at the time. She had 80,000 followers and I was like, <laughs> That's so much. <laughs> and I connected with her and I said to her, teach me, what do you do? How do you do? What do you do? Yeah. And she gave me a couple of tips that really went far a long way for me. She said to me, first of all, 
stop writing in English and Hebrew, switch to the language where most of the world can read your shit. And then she said to me, treat your Instagram like instead of a portfolio, treat it like it's a story, tell a narrative. Don't try to just, just stick to one concept. Later, it would be called a concept feed, but that's what it is. I have a, it's a place where there's consistency and you're telling one story and people come to know it and people come to depend on it. And, and that's how you grow. And then once I came up with the concept, I started to really develop creative thinking towards that concept. So things became deeper and more meaningful and more, more accurate. And the art became better and, and stronger. And I started to be, I started to get sh shared a lot by other feeds, mainly curated art curation feeds that have a lot of following and who share artist works that they like. And once that happened, it was like, how do you say it? Like a fire in a field of that went, it went parabolic. It just yeah. went up fast. Yeah. It, it was exponential. It was crazy. Was there a site or two that, that, that started that flip or was it like one or two particular ones or just one happened and that turned into five and that turned into 50 and that like, was there one or two what? moments that like, was like, whoa. So there was one feed that is a fashion feed and at the time, and I still do, I use fashion as my canvas many of the time, just because I love fashion and it's my background and I love, it's like coming back full circle. I would do, I would take like images of, of, of blank jeans or pants or white pants and I would draw on the image and it looked like those pants were real. And then people would ask me, where can I buy them? And right. so a feed called Spotlight Time, who features really like interesting fashions, started to reshare. And the numbers went up in an insane way. And then from their feed, I started to get reshares from Fuck My Eyes, Watts, all these really like huge art platforms. Oh, Fuck My Eyes is the best. Oh, uh, right really like strong curate art curated Instagram feeds. So again, like everything else in my life, one thing leads to the other, one feed leads to another feed and shit went viral for like an ex extended period of time. And once you do that, then the collaboration offers started to happen. Okay. Um, that was my next kind of your collab list is. So my feed became banana. kind of like, yeah, my feed became like an idea factory in a way. I would like post ideas. People say, people would say, oh, that's cool. Where can we buy that? And it'd be like, no, that's, it's just an idea. And then two weeks later, I would get a DM from a fashion brand or any other brand and say, we like what you did there. We'd like to produce it. We'd like to make it in reality. And so that's how Zara came to be. Just as perspective, you have Elizabeth Arden, Zara, Monpure, the Seville Bar at the James Hotel, the uh, New York City, Freedom Moses Slides, cover of L. You're on the cover of L as art. Like, it's crazy. Monica Rich Custom Jewelry, Hotel Resorts for Art. You're in Cartier, for God's sakes. Zara, Zara, excuse me, Encore, Duelist, Dynamite Capsule Collection, Castro, Net-A-Porte, <laughs> this is absurd, Body the, Art. The latest one is the coolest one that's just coming out now. Porsche, let me draw, which was amazing. So, and all right, so now I have a couple more questions that, that lead into that, that are into that. So now you have all of these inbound deals coming in. Do you have a manager or an agent or do you do, do you have a team or do you do all this stuff yourself? So I'm represented by a, by a company, a management company called Storm. They are okay. based in London. Okay. They, they represent mainly models, but also talent. And so I'm like, they're, they're weird. They're weird. I'm like the one, like uh, one of the very few artists that they represent, but yeah, they're my agents. But again, I have to emphasize and say, a lot of people think that, or artists think that, or talent think that when they get scouted and they get signed in, in these in managements, then life will change for them. And the management will bring all the work and be like, Hey, we have a call from Nike called. They want you. That's not what happened. 
It doesn't work like that. Who's the agent in my real in in life? Instagram is the agent. I get all the I get all the the inquiries. They come to me, and then my my all my agents do is they manage the project, they manage the negotiations and the contracts and all of the other stuff that I can't do. So you basically, so I guess that was my question, right? So you basically hand off. So once a collab or a request comes in for some sort of collaboration, you pitch it to that, you basically hand it to them and say, hey, negotiate this out. And then they do all of the... Now, um, do you take, assume you get paid for all these things or do you, or is sometimes the press and the brand recognition and, and connection good enough? How does it work? You never do things for press for free. Never, ever. Artists listening, never agree to do anything for free. You need to get paid for every fucking thing you do. And I get paid and I get paid well. So artists or demand what is yours. If someone's not, if someone is like saying, oh, I want to take your art because we want to do a t-shirt line. Not only do they have to pay you up front for the project, they need to pay your royalties for each t-shirt that they sell. And that is something that people don't realize. They think, oh, the publicity is worth it. No one is guaranteeing you what kind of publicity or how much publicity you're going to get from this. You can't, it's not quantifiable. You can't, there, you can't know exactly what the end of the, what the end is going to look like. So you need to be paid. Okay. I love that. Do you, and so you have all of these deals going and you have all of this, these, so you're basically now signing licensing deals, right? Like you're basically licensing your your image. Did you do any of those on your own or you were like, well, this is above my pay grade. I need people who know this game. My agency took care of all the licensing with lawyers and all that stuff. No. So you, they basically said, Hey, this is the price. You said, no, I need it to be here or here. And they figured it out. Yeah. Commercial, this is commercial for commercial collaborations only dealing yeah. with selling art pieces, the whole different ball game, but for commercials, for collaborations. Yeah. They do all of that stuff. Do you ever do, those are like commissions. Do you ever do commission work? Do people ever call you to do something specific or do yeah, you say, but I, what I make, just buy it? No, I have been commissioned. I'm very careful about that because, because there is a very, there is a, there, there is, I'm aware of the gap between people's expectations and an outcome. So I always, if I will be commissioned, it will be for something like they saw something in a smaller size and they want to get it in a bigger one, but they want it with this color. So it has to be very pragmatic and it can't be amorphic because if someone is paying me, if someone is commissioned me to make something, whatever, and, and they end up not liking it, it's hard to manage that expectation. And I assume you charge a premium for that type of work. Sure. Okay. The, all right, so now we're moving through sales and revenue and all the fun stuff, the front end stuff. Now let's talk the, the other side of the P&L. Let's talk cost of production. What do you spend most of your time and money on? Right. I, one of my basic questions that I ask everyone is what percentage of time do you actually make art versus all the other things you have to do to actually sell the art you make? I just want to do a disclaimer and say that by no means do I feel like my way is good for everybody else. This is just something I found something that is right for me. and I can tell you with 100% certainty that I'm not, it's not maximized. It's not optimized. What my system is not optimized at all. If I were to optimize it, I would have an assistant. It would sit here and she would do the emailing and she would do all of the invoices and she would do everything instead of me. And I would be in my studio painting all day long and creating. So I just want to put that out there. Why don't you do that? (laughs) First of all, I'm a control freak. Okay. Fair. Also, I have trust issues <laughs> and it's hard to find people that know that here that have the set of skills that I ha- demand for this job. And I am very demanding. So this is very individualistic to me, to my need. Also, I am very fast. So I can, I can get emailing done in the morning time and then go and go into the studio and spend an entire afternoon there. And by hustle, I'm fast. So that's a good quality that I, that I have. I spend, okay, I will say this. I've reached a point in my career where I, I don't work 10 hours a day. 
I I have my website. It's set up well. I got people to check me. I did work closely with Wix. They optimized the website. Once the products are in, adding a new product is not a lot of work. When I do sales, for instance, I take very seriously the yearly sales. Black Friday is going to be crazy. I do sales. Yeah, I do. I do the yearly calendar sales. Black Friday and Cyber Monday are insane. Last year, I almost, I almost crashed because it was unexpected. Okay. So just as a point of reference, because I'm like, what, <laughs> how many sales does it take to crash your website? No, the website didn't crash. I crashed. Oh, so how many sales does it take to crash you? I had hundreds and hundreds of orders and it was one, I was one person. So I sat well into the night, like issuing invoices and doing a lot of manual stuff again, because I'm not optimizing my system because I also don't want to, I like that it's magical. I like to have one business and also it's not, I like that some of my money comes from selling prints, but I like that I'm also like putting part-time of my effort into making original art. And I like that some of that time is going into collaboration. I like the, I like to mix it up. Question. Do you like schedules, Mondays, emails, Tuesdays, shipping, Wednesdays, or it, you just, as it comes in, you, as it flows to you, you flow it out. I have, okay. I have like lists here on the table. It looks like this. Should I need to do? I'm very old school that way. Most of the time they ended up being doodles. Okay. So I have like general things that I need to do, but I just, I also, I wake up the morning and I go, I don't feel like working today. And then I'll just slack off all day long. And I take afternoon naps every single day. Okay. It's a must, at least for half an hour. I sleep here on the, on my living room. It took me, I had to, and I had to reach this point where I'm not, I'm not, overworking myself where you have to say to yourself, it's okay to not work all day, all the time. It's okay to chill and to enjoy life as well. It's part of, if you worked all the time, you wouldn't be able to produce any of the artwork that you're doing. So it's off time is important. People um, forget that. People, Americans, especially. I grew up in America, so I say this from experience. And also last year I was in New York and I was really overwhelmed with how much work ethic is just through the roof and just guys, there's more to, there's more to life than just work. So it's, it's important to, it's important to remember that. The, technically that's what you work for, right? You work for the, we for, often, in, especially in the States, we often forget. I used to live in New York and there it's like to the nth degree. I live in Florida now where it's the quality of life encroaches on your, your work. As I like to say, I went through the New York grind and what that was. And for the second half of my life, I'm ready for the Miami quality Chill. of life. Yes. Yeah, there's a beach. I can go catch some sun any day. There's, it's, there's no subways. Like it's good. Yeah. The, now question, you obviously sell a, a boatload of work when you do all of the pieces because they're not limited editions. Do they, do you ever, do you end them or once you sell a certain amount, do you cut it and do you store and stock up inventory because you have a print shop down? Do you only print, do you print 50 hoping so to sell them I'm or gonna... do you only print when you actually have it, when you have an order? So one of the great things about the model of this business is that I don't have inventory. It's print on demand. Okay. Um, so that's no brainer. I do contemplate over the whole limited, if it's unlimited for how long will I sell one print and what's that all about? I confess I haven't completely come to the conclusion what to do with that yet. Now, for instance, I'm starting to plan for the Black Friday sale. So I'm asking myself, as I am going to post a lot of new artworks, should I take down old artworks? Like how should that go about to be? And when I'm faced with a question like that, as I said, I'm very intuitive in how I handle my business, but I, a lot of the times I'll go on other websites and I'll look at what other people are doing and try and kind of capture clues on how to conduct on my website. And I also listen to a lot of business podcasts, art business podcasts. What is such your fave? There's a podcast called Art Marketing. It's by far my favorite one. They just really cater to all of the 
to all of the, when you're a small art business, how you need to, how you can grow your business and all the marketing tools and all that stuff. It's important for any artist to understand that the idea of being a business person is crucial to an artist's career. You have to know how to sell your own art. If you don't know how to sell your art, no one will know how to sell it for you. No one. So it's, it's an idea that intimidates a lot of artists, but it's, again, it's not that complicated, or at least it wasn't that complicated for me. You just have to jump in and take one step at a time. Yeah. And I think you were also fortunate enough, like your work, like it, it naturally sold, like it, it connects with people in such a way that like it, the phone calls were inbound. But I do want to say, I, I want to say in response to what you're saying is that I, it didn't just happen. I made it that way. I, my belief, my, my perspective on art is that art needs to resonate and it, can, it needs to connect. So if a, a piece of art is amazing and it doesn't do, it doesn't connect with you or it doesn't move you or it doesn't make you feel like, oh, I need this or I want this, then as great as it, is it great? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. What is art? <laughs> For me, art is connection, it's exploration, it's freedom. So the fact that I, my art resonates with people is because I worked at it to make it resonate. I worked at making it available emotionally and visually for people to click with. It didn't just happen. So it evolved over time to get to where it- the, It was my goal. You, you developed that connection with your art. Yeah, it was my goal because I see a lot of artists that make art that it's amazing, but it's unrelatable. And again, the question is what makes art good to me? This is what makes art interesting and good. If you can, if it speaks to you. Yeah, sure. It's if people want, I'm of the belief that if people buy art that sells well, usually means it connects well with people. There's that's the fact that someone took time to pay you money for this creation, to, to decorate their room or their office or whatever it might be, or their car, whatever it is. Connected. They connected. Yeah. With it. And that's right. You're, that's actually a really interesting way to frame it, that you're almost selling this, you're selling that connection, what that is. And that the art of, and the fact that you can create a business and sell art on that is, that is the sign of good art in many respects. I agree. The, it's fascinating. The. So you're a hundred percent Instagram. Yeah. I think oh, fun. sorry. We're going to marketing now. Sorry. We're going to take a quick tangent. We're sure. taking a right turn. So um, sure. We're going to marketing. So uh, as far as I can tell your Instagram and now collabs that just feed out of the Instagram, but I assume those are all creative in terms of following and vision and exposure, et cetera, et cetera. Wait, I'm not sure what your question was. Like, other marketing wise, you're pretty much Instagram and Instagram. Yeah. I think the best marketing is try to make it as organic as possible. So I don't, okay. I don't engage in any, I used to, but it didn't, wasn't that effective. Just create good content. That's the best marketing creating. Good did you, content. you said you used to what, did you do like advertising or anything like that? Yeah. Or? I did some Google advertising and Facebook advertising and all that stuff. Oh. I hired like a company who did that for me, I actually worked with Wix on that a little bit. But the numbers showed that most of the sales came from Instagram. So the, the sales came from people who had an emotional connection with me already as an artist in the artwork. And when you advertise in a, on, on that level, it's like cold customers. So it's hard to reach a connection with someone who doesn't know you or your art. So my understanding of that was to just keep doing what I do it because at some point I realized that what happened to me as in how I grew so much on Instagram and I got such a good following, that's not something that happens every day to people. I think that I realized that at some point. Close. Like, you, there's a moment where you stop and go, wait, I think I did something nice here. Like, I achieved something that's not normal because you grind, you work, you're like, one, and another post, and another post. You're like, oh, it's working. And then comes a point where you just, you lift your head up from the screen and you go, Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Um, the fact that your Instagram grew as much as it did and like you've created as much as you do. Now, have you altered what you put out on Instagram? Do you do more process stuff? Do you do more just still prints and imagery? Has that kind of matured over time or is it pretty much consistent? My golden rule is to keep the purity of the feed, not to commercialize it and not to 
not to utilize it to any other advantage other than the fact that this is a place where it's a hub for art. It's a place for creativity and imagination. It's a place where people know that they can come and get inspired. That's it. I'll, I will every now, if I have a sale, I will promote it. I'll do like a series of maybe two or three posts and be like, Hey, the art that you love so much is on sale right now. There's a 30% sale on the website. Go check it out. And that's fine for me. That's legit. To, to, to cater to my followers, offer them a sale. I do paid collaborations every now and then, but they, okay. they're examined very closely. I choose them very carefully because I'm very aware not to tarnish the integrity of the feed. So if I'm promoting something, best believe that I believe in it and best okay. believe that it's on brand to my life as an artist whether it be a perfume, whether it be any brand, any product that I'm promoting or getting paid to promote. I have, a, I was an ambassador for Lenovo for computers and it's because I really actually used it and it helped me as an artist. So it has to be something that you believe in and it's, t it takes away every time I post something that is a paid partnership, I feel like it takes away from the integrity of the feed. So it really has to be well compensated. <laughs> I love it. Do you do any PR? Give me money. Sorry, what? Yeah, I'm kidding. Do you do any PR? Do you have a publicist or does it, because there's obviously, but I see a ton of articles written about you or is most of that organic? All of it is organic. So there's no one managing that. The... I do have a, I do have a publicist now for the NFT project, project okay. which is being funded by my team. It doesn't okay. come out of pocket, but again, as I said earlier, when I understood, oh, wait, I have something special here. The, it made me realize that the things that most people do market wise, I, it's not relevant for me. The only thing that I need to do is to continue doing what I'm doing and that'll generate the marketing that people are paying to do. It's organic. So I just need to continue doing that. And that wasn't, that was a realization moment for me because for a really long time, I did the thing that is very humanistic. People are telling me you should do this, or you look at other people, what other people are doing and saying to yourself, if they're doing it, then I should do it as well. That's not true. That's not right. You need to examine what you have, what your strengths are, what your abilities are and utilize them in a way that is right for you. I like that a lot. Do you, Obviously you've got zillions of customers over these years. Do you like keep, how do you like keep track of, do you have a big email blast list? Do you do like, how do you keep track of your inventory of your collectors and your customers or doing it? So Wix has a mailing, like, uh, I have a customer list automatically. Of course I do send newsletters, not often, only okay. when like there are sales or big big projects, but I try not to bombard my, my, my customers with, with, with emails. So they don't feel like I'm spamming them. It just like, it feels really intrusive to send an email. So I just really only sell it. I really only send it on really special occasions. Okay. I did work with a company called, oh shit, I forgot their name. Wow. Okay. Alzheimer's, a company that kind of makes your your followers or your buyers into ambassadors. Okay. So you can, you can offer them different incentives and then they, to promote you or to post Instagram photos or to anything you want, answer a questionnaire, anything you ask them to do that. And in return, you give them points for, or coupon codes for the website. So that was, I like that. when you think yeah. of that, when you think of the name and you remember a minute from now or two hours from now, send it to me and I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, it's, they're actually really great. Oh, because that sounds like something I'd love to learn what that is. It's a really good, it's a, it's a really good company. I can't believe I'm spacing out on the name. It's but quite all right. Let it rest. Right. We'll start answering something else and it'll come in. All yeah. right. So we are coming close to the end of our interview here. And so the last thing I usually talk about is just habits and things in life. I'm a big believer, like the inner circle. Is, what inner, is it? Called inner circle. Okay. Inner circle. Free plug. I love it. <laughs> All right. I'm going to look them up also. You've got a lot of good little tidbits that I haven't had before. So I'm picking a lot of stuff up today. It's good. So I'm a believer that like successes are often revised mistakes. So I, I like to ask all artists two questions. One, what was your biggest mistake in, your pro in all of this? And what was your best achievement in all of this? So like the thing that you wish you didn't do and the thing that you're most proud of. My biggest mistake was Honestly, I think my biggest mistake was not to, not to have more 
courage and conviction to do what I'm doing now before earlier. I stayed way too long at my job, my previous job as a graphic editor. I knew deep inside that I don't need to be there anymore. And I was scared to make the change. And I feel this is something that maybe a lot of people can resonate with when you're just, you're very, yeah. you're overwhelmed with the feeling of what if this doesn't turn out? What if I, what if I fail? And <clears throat> what happened was that the moment I got free from the shackles of my job that I no longer liked or no longer had any interest in, and I was free to be a full-time artist, that's when shit really started to take off. So I just really regret not doing it earlier. It's taking those big leaps that like everyone looks, every entrepreneur has the same story. It's like, amazing. When I quit my job, all of a sudden the, the, every, the things started coming and the universe started handing me all these things. It's having the belief and conviction in yourself that that launches you into success. If you build it, it will come. It's such a true, yeah. it's such a true sentence. I, it's, and it's still, even though I know that if you build it, it will come till the, till this day, I'm hesitant about questions such as I'll give you an example. I work in my studio. My studio is here in my home, it's a small room. And I'm constantly contemplating, should I take a new studio? Should I take a new space? Should I take something separate? Should I take something bigger in my heart? I know that would be the right move, but I'm still not there. So it's constantly, it's not once you've reached that understanding, you will never make that mistake again. It's always, you have to always keep your kind of understanding. And, and I think that the, my biggest achievement or my biggest, the thing that pushed me forward was to stay true to myself. I got advised so much, so many things to do the proper way. And I always ended up doing things my way. And trust your gut. I, yes, I trust my gut. I just do things my way. I was going to ask my last question is what advice do you give? Would you give to other artists like your best tool or trick tip? That sounds like that was one of them, but <laughs> just, yeah, you need to hard. You need to, first of all, realize that you have power. An artist that doesn't have conviction in what they're doing is worth nothing. You have to have conviction. But you have to first realize what your power is and then you have to understand how to harness that power and then you just have to like you have to have conviction in that power you have to have belief it's, if superman didn't think that he could fly he wouldn't be able to fly and because being an artist is such an amorphic and abstract thing sometimes you have to lay the ground that this is happening i am doing this you will appreciate my art because I believe that is something that is worth appreciating that those things have to happen or else none of it can come into reality. And on that note, we're going to call the end of this episode. Thank you. This one was a great one. Uh, I've started, I've done quite a few of these and th there's so many little wonderful tidbits in here. Thank you so much for taking the time and rescheduling. I really appreciate it. Um, this was absolutely incredible. That's it for this episode of Ballsy. Ashira clearly had the balls to sell some art and continue to do so every day. Go, oh, forgot. Where do they find you? Oh, Instagram, Koketit, K-O-K-E-T-I-T. Okay. Uh, try pronouncing it first and then go on Instagram and find me. You can DM me and um, And websites where they can go buy stuff. Koketit.com. So it's Perfect. the same, same thing everywhere. You can get the link off the Instagram. Instagram will take you everywhere. So just go on Instagram, check out the artwork. And then if you want to buy, just go on the website. Amazing. Thank you again. Everyone go check out her work, go buy some cool stuff and look for all the amazing collabs coming. Thank you very much. Thank you. Have a good evening. Hold on. <laughs>